Welcome to the Denver United Church Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor Rob Brendel. Sorry, we were having a moment. (laughs) Uh, Hey, I want to say thank you to all of you. Um, for your generous response and prayerful response to the legacy offering last year. I wanted to give you a bit of an update. Uh, As of yesterday morning, when uh, I checked in with Christine, the legacy fund so far is more than double last year with a week to go. And that's incredible. I mean, I'm utterly blown away. That, that's, that is a, a metric of worship and, and surrender and, and just gratitude to God. What that means is that we're going to have the opportunity to serve and bless a lot of people, to touch a lot of people, to, to love in the midst of a crisis moment a lot of times in 2020, and that's going to be awesome. And I just, I, I, I was, after sharing this with the service last night, uh, lying in bed last night, just thinking of all the ways, not wishing for disasters to strike or hard things to come, certainly excited for opportunities, but thinking of how Jesus has played that way for thousands of years, light in the darkness, and how we collectively are going to be able to be an expression of that, an unprecedented unprecedented measure next year. If you were not here or um, were hoping to be a part of the legacy offering this year and haven't yet, want to let you know that that fund stays open for one more week. And so um, whether that's because how finances were arranged for you or you're thinking about it or out of town or whatever, please feel no pressure. Just know that the envelopes are back there. You can um, drop whatever gift you'd like to make. Uh, if it's in the envelope, it'll be designated legacy, of course. And then that drop-down menu online um, will continue to feature legacy offering just below tithes and offerings. Simply select that uh, anytime over the next week if you'd like to be a part of that. Again, this is a free will offering. Don't feel any pressure, any expectation, just uh, an invitation to respond to Jesus and worship him together in that way. And uh, what an amazing endowment for good, for God's love uh, into our city and into our world next year. So thank you for that. Uh, you guys ready to jump into the word? Should we do a George prayer? Father, in the name of Jesus, bless this time in your word. Amen. I just didn't have the same ring. It didn't work. I didn't feel as comprehensive. You, have a, you managed to say a whole lot in like three words. Yeah, I, mine, it was, it was lacking. We need to work on that. All right. Um, so, have you noticed that Christmas time is the most wonderful and the most complex time of the year? Like I, over the last 20 years of pastoral ministry, have heard so many stories of heartbreak and anguish that come to the surface at this time of year. Sometimes they're reminiscing on painful Christmases of yore. Other times they're simply the reminder that this time requires of us. I heard a story from a, a friend that was, is so painful that it, it, it's, it's almost funny. Um, that Christmas in her uh, childhood memory was, was a sort of 
collective makeup call for the thing, the wrongs of the year. You know, we as parents all get it wrong all the time. Hopefully we say, kids, dad messed up and I'm so sorry. Sometimes that isn't part of the family dynamic. But Christmas for her went over the top, like perfect Norman Rockwell picture, um, teeming with presents, all sort of saying sorry for this and that and making it right. Um, and, and I thought, gosh, I, I can relate to that. And then um, there was this pressure on Christmas morning to be perfect. And invariably, one of the kids would be one of the kids and do something wrong, push someone in in a rush to get to his present and knock her over the toddler little sister. And then they'd be crying. And then the dam would break and chaos would ensue. And then it would result in uh, every year dad saying, well, now you've ruined Christmas. And so the little kids faced, felt the guilt and the pressure to, well, let's just see if we can get, get it back. All this Christmas magic and wonder was there until you screwed it up. And so then everybody would open presents like sheepishly year after year, trying not to be the one who ruined Christmas. How heartbreaking is that? How eerily autobiographical for some of us, right? And... That's the thing, isn't it? There is this Christmas crazy that lurks just beneath the surface of the perfect Norman Rockwell picture. And we try to preserve it by playing our part, by going over the top, by surfing along on the waves of consumerism and trying to cultivate that magical feeling from the outside in. But it never quite works because the more we push it down, the more it pressurizes the system and seems to seep out the cracks. Is this familiar to anybody? If there's relational tension in the family, you're going to deal with it at Christmas. If there's hurt or loss, if there's disgruntlement or resentment, it's going to make its way out at Christmas. If there is loss and absence, we're going to feel it at Christmas. This is the Christmas crazy. And so at the risk of opening a can... We're going to address for the next three weeks, starting this morning, the elephant in the room. Does anybody else relate to this, or is this just sort of group therapy for me? <laughs> I tell you each year, my favorite Christmas carol is um, O Holy Night. I love how poetically it puts into words the, the majesty and the wonder of the Advent season. How about this line? Um, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Isn't this the, the, the mystery of the Advent? In the midst of darkness breaks faintly visible on the distant horizon at first, but growing to the light of day, a new and glorious day. Light in our darkness. That is Jesus' arrival. And in the midst of some particularly painful darkness that could be the relational brokenness, the baggage, the hurt that is latent 11 months of the year that we can sort of sweep under the rug, but that comes home to roost at Christmas. I invite you this morning, and I believe the Word of God enjoins you, to open your heart to a surprising thrill of hope. 
1 Kings chapter 12 is where we're going to begin. Not a usual Advent text, to be sure. This is the time when David's son Solomon is passing the throne and the dynasty to his son Rehoboam. But it hasn't gone as well as it did from David to Solomon. You heard Pastor Aaron talk about that transition last week. Now, Solomon is passing it to his son, but there's tension in the kingdom. All Israel realized that this new king was not open-minded. He felt that to seize power and make people take him seriously, he had to be harsh. So they realized that he wouldn't listen to him, and they responded, down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. So the people of Israel returned home. But the new king, Rehoboam, continued to rule over the Israelites who, rule, who lived in the towns of Judah. So King Rehoboam sent Adoniram, who is in charge of forced labor, to restore order. The people are in unrest, and you can imagine how the guy whose job is to be in charge of the forced labor, how he restores order, right? At the tip of a spear and at the crack of a whip. So things are going from bad to worse. This thing is a powder keg waiting to blow. He gets there and the people of Israel revolt and stone him to death. Oh, this is not good. When the news reached King Rehoboam, he jumped in his chariot and fled. And to this day, the northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David. And so these are the headwaters. This is the beginning of the division, the civil war between some of the nation of Israel, and the rest of the tribes. And they continued for hundreds of years a divided kingdom, Israel and Judah. This is where it began. Isaiah 9-2, which is a familiar Advent text, teaches the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. This is the context of Advent the prophetic announcement of how Jesus' arrival would play out. The people were walking in great darkness. What I want you to see as a sort of premise for this series is that the darkness that Jesus came into, it was marked not only by geopolitical unrest or socioeconomic depression, but by relational brokenness. The darkness that Jesus was light into the midst of, that is the message of the advent, wasn't exclusively, or I would say even primarily, about the people having been conquered or the people coming back from slavery and living in squalor with broken down walls and cities. It was broken down families resultant from generations-long hostility. So many of them were so hostile toward one another, they don't even remember the generations ago where and why the kingdom of Israel divided. That was their historical narrative. They hated each other because they hated each other. And into that darkness, Jesus came like the morning sun. Jeremiah chapter 8, fast forward a couple of generations. My grief, he writes, is beyond healing. My heart is broken. Listen to the weeping of my people. It can be heard across the land. Has the Lord abandoned Jerusalem, the people ask. What's going on here? Jeremiah, termed by 
Theologians, the weeping prophet is indeed weeping, reflecting God's anguish over the people's pain and loss. They had been conquered. They were living in slavery or in exile. But it was more than that. Verse 21, he continues, I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and am overcome with grief. Is there no medicine? Is there no physician? Why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? If only my head were a pool of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, writes the weeping prophet, I would weep day and night for my people. What are the unhealing wounds? What are the untreatable hurts of his people for which he weeps? Is it exile? A few verses later, he brings it into sharp disquieting focus. Beware of your neighbor. Don't even trust your brother. For brother takes advantage of brother and friend slanders friend. That's the focal point. What's the unhealing wound for which his heart breaks on behalf of their father God? It's that brothers are divided. Families are rent asunder. And it's going on generation after generation. Hatred passed down until it becomes culture. And they don't even know why. This brokenness, this darkness into which Jesus came at Advent, it was relational brokenness. It was your brokenness and mine. For many of us, The Christmas season doesn't just energize us, it it taunts us. We hear in the songs that play, it's the most wonderful time of the year, but for many of us, it is a time of poignant, painful reminder of fractured relationships that are not healing. We hear there's no place like home for the holidays, but for too many of us, if we're honest, like my friend whose childhood messaging was, don't ruin Christmas this year. For many of us, home is the last place you want to be. And so we go there tensed up. For too many of us, It's those ironically honest Christmas carols that have the right of it, like Elvis singing, I'll have a blue Christmas. Or how about this one? Santa, bring my baby back to me. Some of us sing that, and it cuts right to the heart. More like how it really is for lots of us. And therein lies the problem, right? We all carry relational brokenness. That is what it means to be human, sadly. And Christmas time, Christmas time triggers it like nothing else. It's one month-long trigger for our relational brokenness. If it's going to come up, it's going to come up this month. If we sweep it under the rug successfully until we don't, now is the time we don't. And if our solution is avoid it, the avoidance brings the pain double. We can't not think about what it used to be like, and now it isn't. Or how bad it was, and now how this time is sort of emotion-stamped relational brokenness. 
Christmas is a tinderbox. It's a, it's a box of dry twigs and branches waiting for a spark and <laughs> the whole house goes up. And for many of us, that's what this season promises. And so we do that thing that we do, that we Americans are good at. We play along on the surface with consumerism. We put on a happy face. We go to the holiday parties. We buy the ugly sweaters. We decorate the house. And then internally, we just grit our teeth and clench our fists and try to get through the holidays one more year. And friends, Jesus came into that darkness and brought light. I have a guilty confession I love the Hallmark Channel in December. I am an unapologetic sap. I love the Hallmark Christmas movies. Like two nights ago, we were watching them, but it, was, it went a little bit longer than usual, and it was getting late. And Mari's like, we need to go to bed. It was 11.45, and I'm like, yeah, but we don't know how it's going to end. Yeah, see, that's the thing. We know exactly how they're going to end. That's why we like them, right? Well, I was watching one that was painfully honest, and while the acting is B-grade at best, it's sort of more like real life. No one's conversations are as good as the conversations in the A-grade movies, right? But our conversations on a good day may approach the level of dialogue in a Hallmark Channel movie. So I feel like this is actually comforting. It's, it's real life in a way, right? And... Um, the, the premise, maybe you've seen this one. It was a 2015 one. Um, you know that you're a Hallmark Channel geek if you know the year vintage of your Hallmark movies. I just, I just went ahead and made the joke that Sir George couldn't make it at my expense. All right, so um, the, this was the one where the, 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 some people are flying home to you know, New York. It's always New York, um, but there's a massive snowstorm up and down the whole East Coast, and so they all get diverted to Buffalo, and they're snowed in, and they're threatening to miss Christmas, right? So then a bu- after some drama, a bunch of a group of passengers uh, who are the main characters, they end up renting a car, the last car in Buffalo, and, and they're making their way in the snow. Have you guys seen this one? Well, um, in the midst of this journey trying to get to New York, um, they're all kind of unpacking each other's stories. And the one guy who's the, who, who's the surf on top of the waves guy, he's keeping everybody lively, he's cracking jokes, is the one that after a while they figure out, why are you not distressed at missing Christmas? It's like you don't want to get home. And they're like, do you not want to get home? And then he finally cracks and you find out that, you know, his brother was like his, his lifeline and strength and hero he looked up to all growing up. And then he finally meets the love of his life and his brother steals his girl basically and does him dirty, which is definitely raw. And now they haven't talked in four years, but his brother, and he had committed to come home and his brother's going to be there with his wife, who was his, his ex-girl. And he hasn't loved since, of course. And, you know, impossibly beautiful Hallmark Channel women are throwing them themselves at him, but he's like, no, because my brother's still my girl. I don't see you. And you're like, sure you see her. Come on. And, and, but until like, you know, 20 minutes before the end of the movie, and then he sees her. Um, and she realizes this stiff, like robotic um, rich guy who she's engaged to. And this is really impertinent to the point, but it's um, that he isn't really the one for her and they end up together. Right. But the point is, I was like, this this is sort of real. And if this is really hitting home because your brother stole your girl, I'm really sorry. That's, that sucks. It's awful. But if, if even like a portion of it's hitting home and you're like, man, I'm that guy. Like, I don't, I don't really want to go home. I'm kind of secretly hoping it gets snowed out. Um, you're not alone. 
That's a lot of us. What are we supposed to do with that? Isaiah 7. Fast forward a couple of generations in the history of the people of Israel. This division has calcified. When Ahaz, who was the king at the time, and then King Rezin of Syria, and then Pekah, the king of Israel, um, sorry, when Ahaz was king of Judah, the king of Syria and the king of Israel set out to fight against him. So their, their cold war had grown hot, and they're about, to, they're about to take up arms and annihilate each other. But Israel's in it to win it, so they recruit Syria, who was an especially nasty army at the time, and they go in for genocide. They're about to wipe Judah off the map. So this thing has about to bubble over. It, it has reached um, red alert level. And uh, the news comes to the royal court of Judah that Syria is allied with Israel against us, and the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear. And then God intervenes. So he says to his prophet Isaiah, take your son and go out and meet the king of Judah. And in verse 4, here's what I want you to tell him. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him not to fear. Why? Verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God says, when it feels like the relational divide is beyond the point of all hope and it's about to explode, do not fear because a child is born. Because in the midst of the darkness shined a great light. That's the context of Advent. That's the darkness in which Jesus came to bring light. And that's the mystery of the incarnation which we reflect on each year in December. Emmanuel, that's what he'll be called. Not God for us from heaven, reaching out his powerful arm, but God with us, God in the midst of our darkness, God among us and our broken estate. That's the gospel. And the gospel is this. It's Jesus came. See, we're looking at this 2,000 years later. They were looking at it hundreds of years before. Jesus came. You know, like, well, what are we waiting for? He's already come. Jesus came. Here's the gospel's mystery. And Jesus is coming anew into your darkness now. And Jesus will come again at the end of all things. Jesus came and showed us the way. Jesus is coming even now. And Jesus will come again. And so the words of God through the prophet back then are his words to you. Even if it feels like all hope is lost, and this relational brokenness is just how it's going to be. And you're always going to be fighting down toxic seepage at Christmas time. Even now, don't fear. Because a child is born. And in the midst of your darkness, 
a great light has shined. The people walking in darkness, that passage reads, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The light dawned when they were living in the very shadow of death. It could be that you feel like your broken relationships are in the shadow of death. Like death's there, there's no hope for this thing. I'm just going to get through Christmas. But that's when Jesus' light came. And that's when it's going to come again. For to us a child is born. A son is given and the government will be in his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Yes, Mighty God for sure. Everlasting Father, no doubt about it. And guess what? One is not like the others. He'll be called Prince of Peace. He came for peace. That is the thrill of hope. He came for peace in our storm. He came for reconciliation in our brokenness. He came for healing in our division. Jesus didn't come in spite of our brokenness. He came for it. Even now. And that's the big idea, really, the single, simple idea I want to leave with you as we begin this December study. Jesus brings the hope of peace for our relational storm. He brings the hope of peace for our relational storm, for whatever brokenness, whatever pain, whatever low-level tension we manage and suppress 11 months of the year that can't help but come home to roost at Christmas. I love Luke 19. Oh, let me read this first, Isaiah 49. Listen, some of you just need to close your eyes and listen and receive this. God, through his prophet, says to you, See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. I know you. I know your situation. I haven't forgotten you. You're close to my heart. Soon, listen, your descendants will come back. That's what God said to the permanently fractured, divided, long-lost family lines of the people of Israel. And that's what God says to his children today. All you who are trying to destroy, all those who are trying to destroy, they're going to go away and look around you and see, for listen, all your children will come back to you. Some of us just need to write that promise down. Make a note in our phone and read that and ask God to give you grace to believe it. Luke 19.10, Jesus famously said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Right? That's what we always preach in, in evangelism, revival time. But you know what that passage most comprehensively says? If you, if you look at 10 translations, they're going to render it 10 different ways. But Jesus' words most reliably, word for word, most authentically translate this. The Son of Man came to seek and save all that which was lost. The lost people who are lost and dying in their sins and are heading for hell and need to go to heaven. Yes, he came to seek and save them, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. See, Jesus came to seek and save your lost relationships. He came to seek and save your lost peace. He came to seek 
seek out and save your lost hope that it'll ever be okay. The early 20th century German theologian, pastor, and author Eberhard Arnold, a hero of mine, was an elegant writer and he penned these words. Maybe just close your eyes and listen. Just take this into your heart. Because of the noise and the activity of the struggle, often we don't hear the hidden gentle sound and movement of the life that is yet coming into being. But here and there at hours that are blessed, God lets us feel how he is everywhere at work, how his cause is growing and moving forward. The time is being fulfilled and the light shall shine perhaps just when it seems to us that the darkness is impenetrable. Let me leave you with a challenge. I dare you. I invite you, if you are willing. Take the risk. Lower the blast shield. Let the Christmas crazy steer you toward the hope of Advent. Friends, would you resist the impulse, understandable, justifiable impulse to shut down, to distance yourself, to close up and just play nice and get through the holidays, deepening the divide and the anguish that it brings? Will you open your heart to the possibility of hope this Advent season. Will you lean in to Jesus and the work of relationship healing, the work of reconciliation that he came to do? Will you let him in? I know that that's scary and I know that it may feel thankless or hopeless. And I can imagine that you've tried. Most of us don't get to the place of shutting the blast doors for lack of having tried. But there's something that says, you know what, fool me once, twice, three times, shame on you. Fool me another time, shame on me. I'm not putting myself through that anymore, and I get that. But even now, Jesus is coming into the world, into your darkness, into that impenetrable darkness. Would you be willing to allow for the thrill of hope that is the Advent? We're going to take the next couple of weeks and talk about what that looks like practically from God's Word to lean in to the relationships that have caused so much pain or the loss that hurts even worse this time of year. And then what to do if it's irreconcilable. Still, Jesus invites us to the hope of peace. And so today, I just want to ask you and encourage you. It's December 1st. We got 24 days to go. You're going to have to look at the lights. You're going to have to listen to the songs. Each year we get a little worse at pretending. 
and then we just check out. Don't check out. Lean in. Let Jesus be the healer. You know, he came to heal us, and we tend to think that means our bodies. I think we think more of these bodies, and Jesus thinks less of them because he sees eternal, and he knows that our bodies are going to be glorious like his for the vast majority of the rest of our lives. And while, yes, he cares about the pain and the sickness that we obsess over, the healing Jesus came to bring is so much more comprehensive. Your heart, your relationships, these things are eternal. And Jesus promises healing for those things. And I'm believing for that and praying for that with you. I know that this opens a can. I've been talking to people all last night and this morning since discussing this in the Saturday night service. And, um, and I understand that it's tender. We're going to walk through this respectfully and not try to trample on, on your painful spaces. And afterward, um, we'd like to invite you just to, to receive prayer. We'd love to pray for you. Our elders, our leaders will be up here. And just uh, if, if you're contemplating, should I even try to go there? We'd love just to pray with you for courage and for faith to let Jesus be more. Amen. Would you stand with me? It's time for us to go. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your faithfulness to your people. Thank you for how you um, just bind us together and heal our hearts and and grow us in your image. And Jesus, thank you that you came not when we had it together or when we had the house picked up, but in the midst of our mess and our darkness. And we love you for that. And I pray for my friends that you would come this season and bring healing and freedom in the places of hurt that um, take center stage involuntarily this time of year. We trust you for this. And I bless my friends in this courageous journey this Advent season. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been encouraged this week. For more information or to submit a prayer request, go to denverunited.com. 